0: Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Jace Craft, and today I'm interviewing Ari Gronich. He's the performance therapist and one of the most sought-after therapists and trainers for elite athletes, corporate culture and wellness, and an international keynote speaker. He is the founder and CEO of Achieve Health USA and the Performance Therapy Academy, and can be found interviewing world changers on his podcast create a new tomorrow on the podcast today we are talking about longevity and sport Ari has worked with many athletes trying to go from the amateur level to the professionalism level and we're going to explore the reasons why some make it and some don't you're listening to the science of sports recovery podcast each week, we explore how to recover more efficiently from training so you can work out harder and realize your full potential. This is the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Ari, right, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, we always start with the, the, the history, the sport history of our guests. So I'm curious to know what age was your first sport and what was it?
1: Yeah. So I was three years old and I, uh, started playing tennis, uh, doing gymnastics and, uh, and martial arts. So, and riding bikes. So I, I, my dad owned a bike shop, so I did long distance cycling Nice and, uh, Gymnastics was just kind of my brother was amazing at gymnastics so I went in and then also uh, you know baseball. I played a lot of sports growing up. I was always doing something.
0: What's like your earliest recollection of like being excited to go to sport because I'm assuming at three years old I mean there's memory is kind of you know (laughs) foggy at that point but do you remember like the first time going to gymnastics
1: probably not the first time going but i remember the feeling of the rug i remember the bounce of the mat i remember the the smell of the chalk you know what i mean like as you would clap your hands the chalk would come you know all over i mean i remember i remember the ripouts that your hands get when you're going on that bar, you know, like those are the things that, that stick out.
0: Yeah. So how long was it into your career then with your first injury or first
1: like setback as an athlete? I got injured all the time. I was, I was crazy. Uh, I went all out all the time. I had a 80 mile an hour fastball in little league. Wow. Uh, I I could line drive. From catcher to second base from my knees. So, oh man, I just I, just, I went all out, and that meant that I, yeah, managed. a lot. <laughs> yeah. My first chiropractor appointment was when I was
0: five. Oh, wow. Wow. How did, the, like, did you kind of know what was going on? I know you're kind of inquisitive person, in, in fact. So, like, tell us how that, like, how that may have impacted what you do now?
1: Yeah, well, I mean it impacted everything in what I do now because I had been going to him from most basically since I'd five until I was about 18. Mm-hmm. And uh he had he had been treating my dad. And so I ended up asking a lot of questions. How are you doing this? Why are you doing this? What is it that you're doing? What's the purpose of what you're doing? Like I would like what's the minutiae? What's what what's this nerve do right there? That's yeah. that vertebrae do. So I was just always asking questions. And the instructor or the the chiropractor was absolutely willing to share and to help. And he would put my hands on, you know, under his hands on my dad's back and said, Okay, now feel this as he's going down the spine. Or, you know, he's like, just feel the muscle tissue. You'd feel that scar. You could feel that lump. You could, you know. So it, it was interesting. Yeah, I learned a lot.
0: Were you like that in all parts of your life, or was it just kind of the the health and, and performance?
1: Most parts of my life, I think. I mean, I I was a very active kid. Uh, you're pretty young, so I probably have been doing this since before you were born. But um, back in the day, when when you we were, you know, we all had to be outside. There was no mm-hmm. telephones. There was three channels, maybe on the TV, um, you know, there, there just wasn't anything to do but be active and go outside and, and live a life. And so, um, yeah, I think that that was quite a difference in, in upbringing. So it it just, everything I was curious mm-hmm. about because we were always exploring outside. Yeah. So, going back to kind of your early
0: sport career then did you ever have aspirations for uh you know professional sport or anything like that or or where did you kind of gravitate as you got older in sport
1: so as i got older i got more and more injured um i also found out that i was having some medical issues Mm -hmm. and um we found out much later what it was but it was a brain tumor and so it was messing up my hormones. I kept mm. getting large. I was like 340 pounds wow. and a full on athlete. I would, I mean, I would do everything I was doing when I was smaller, just it would take me longer. Right. Yeah. So I realized that I'm not about to to get into being the athlete right now because nobody could figure out my health. I was a medical mm. mystery. And so Instead of doing that, what do you do, you know? Like, oh, well, why don't we help people who aren't doing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Why don't we try to figure out how to get healthy? I was 18, I had just graduated high school. We were, we went whitewater rafting. I was taking a homeopathic remedy of snake venom, which you're not supposed to mix with caffeine. And That's so cool. if you could imagine whitewater rafting Heat stroke, sunstroke, allergies, snake venom, mixing. It was like a perfect storm of yeah. what happened. I went into anaphylactic shock and I ended up dead for 26 minutes. Wow. So by the time the doctors got me back, it was about 26 minutes later. I didn't wake up really until a few days later. And I sat up in the hospital bed and I said, I think I need to be a healer. And that's kind of where it started for the journey towards Mm. training and, um, and doing therapy. I started out in massage school. By my third month I was running the clinic Um, because I was running the clinic and my school backed up to the campuses of Intel, Nike and Tektronix and Beaverton, Oregon. I said, Hey, let's start some corporate wellness programs. They don't exist. Let's do it. Yeah. So ended up doing that. And by my fifth, sixth month in school, I ended up at a health fair where I ended up working on Richard Simmons, Victoria Jackson, um, and a couple professional sports players. And a year later, I had been interning with that team, going into surgeries, literally working with their trainers, their doctors, their, you know, I mean, I worked with everybody and I just kind of absorbed and learned and stuck mm-hmm. in the marrow of what they were teaching. So that's how that started.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Uh I don't wanna like just to to skip over this brain tumor, uh whitewater rafting, you know, dead um story here. We're definitely gonna get into the, you know, working with elite athletes and, and what you learned there. But uh so going back you said it was a brain tumor that was kind of causing a lot of this is. Did they not find that out until that whitewater rafting incident? Or was that prior
1: to that, that so they, they found moved? that out? They found that out when I was 24. So is when they actually found, diagnosed, saw it on the MRI. They had been mistreating, misdiagnosing and et cetera, since I was 12. So I had to be injected into puberty. I had breast reduction surgery when I was 14 because estrogen was out of control. Like hormone imbalances are a real thing. And especially in this day and age, like I probably was an early adopter of having hormone disruption nowadays with what's in our food, water, air, et cetera. the, The hormone disruptors are amazingly, amazingly bad. But nobody knew what it was. They just kept treating me. And it wasn't, uh, that wasn't what it was until they found the tumor. Like, oh, okay, well, you're basically producing a hormone that's disrupting all the other hormones in your system. Gotcha. So they knew something was wrong at 12.
0: They figured it out at 24. 18 is when you had this whitewater rafting pronounced dead for 26 minutes. what did they, they just not, they didn't figure it was a brain tumor at that point. Uh, what did they kind of say at that point? Like, oh, this
1: is, this is that it. Just, yeah, that was just the perfect storm of caffeine, snake venom, heat stroke, sunstroke. I mean, it was just like everything all at once, barrage. I went into shock and stopped breathing. So, Wow.
0: Okay. And then you're coming out of that. Um, and I would assume for the first, you know, six months, a year that they're just assuming anything else that's wrong with you has to do with, you know, what happened from that event or was it like, Hey, there's still something wrong here.
1: There's, I still have the brain tumor. It's not gone. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, uh, managed a little differently. Um, but no, they, they had no idea what they were doing which is why i said i think i need to be a healer mm-hmm. because i was like i've been going to doctors since i was 7 for symptoms so 7 i was getting migraines and hot flashes basically going through symptoms of menopause and then 12 and then you know 18 24 so they would have been treating mistreating diagnosing, misdiagnosing. So afterwards, I went and did a study at Oregon Health and Science University. And um, when I was at Oregon Health and Science University, they tested for Cushing's, they did all kinds of tests. I was there for like a week, they were taking blood every half hour. And um, eventually, the guy came back and said, I don't know, I think I need to take your studies to this symposium in Chicago. And so he went to the symposium in Chicago, he came back, he still had no idea what was going on. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's funny, they, people idolize doctors and the medical staff, right? It's just a practice, right? It's not a, this is fact, it's a Mm -hmm. practice. And so we get to learn as we are injured and sick, we get to learn that they don't know really what they're doing. They're practicing what they were taught. And hopefully, what they were taught works, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good point that uh, I think there might be some ego sometimes in the the health industry, whether it be your physical therapist or athletic trainer or doctor, that there's kind of this uh, expectation from society that they have to know what they're you know, know what it is and know what they're doing and, and know every, you know, case that comes to them. But the reality is we are so unique that, uh, you know, misdiagnosis and, and mistreatment happens all the time. Um, even especially in the athletic world. Um, you know, I, I nothing to the extent of, you know, misdiagnosing a brain tumor, but I had had that, um, You know something was wrong. We couldn't figure it out. It extended over twelve months, and then finally we got something that worked. And that's a really frustrating time for an athlete, for a person. Like when when you finally got the diagnosis of, hey, this is a brain tumor. Like, I would imagine, obviously, that's not like a good news. Oh, it was um, great, but great news. Yeah, because
1: you you actually actually can name it then. Yeah. Right. Is great news because it was like, see, it is all in my head. (laughs) Not all in my head. (laughs) You know, it's like, see, yeah, I'm not just faking it, you know, because when you're a kid and you're totally a lot, everybody thinks you're faking to get out of school to whatever, you're a bad kid. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there was a lot of trauma around you're a bad kid because you're faking something wrong with you. And uh, and that, you know, is like how do you how do you get over that as a as a person? But you know, to, to go to your question about athletes, right? As an athlete to be injured, especially when the dream of your future is on the line. Mm-hmm. That that's where it takes the entourage, what I call an athlete's entourage the entourage to come in, step in. So every professional athlete has an entourage, trainers, therapists, Mm -hmm. people, nutritionists, people who are in the background that you never will see that are guiding that person's body physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, hopefully all of them towards their goal. There's an entourage that every athlete has that's a professional. Even if you're not a very good professional athlete, you still have. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It just might be smaller. So if you're a kid who's an athlete and you're being scouted these days in junior high school, Mm -hmm. right, and you don't have an entourage, you're going to get injured. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be suboptimal comparatively to how you could perform. Right. Yeah. And so an entourage lets an athlete know what they're doing good, what they're doing suboptimally, you know, and the entourage, if you don't have that, it's, going to take you forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get
0: to get ahead. So, who should be included in that? Like what are what are kind of some key
1: points of an entourage when you're
0: building that? You'd be like, okay, I you need, need my trainer. mental, emotional, exactly. physical. Exactly.
1: Just think of those four things, mental, emotional, spiritual and physical, right? So, if your mind ain't right, your body will never listen to you. Okay? Yeah. If your emotions are not right, you will never do the best that you can do because you're emotionally attached. That's positive or negative. I'm not judging emotion. I'm not judging any of that, right? It's just the facts. So you need to have that mental coach, the mental, the hypnotherapist, whatever, whichever modality of mentalism that they are, Their job is to get you into the zone Mm -hmm. so often that the zone becomes automatic, automated. It just is like flipping a switch on off. Mm -hmm. You don't have to practice getting into a zone. So if you're a team, let's say, and you don't have this one thing, this one thing, where's your focus? You got girls, you got schoolwork, you got friends, you got family, you got whatever job you've got to do, and then you got whatever sport you got to do, And mm-hmm. right? where who, who's, who's focusing on your mental awareness so that you're clear? So when you're doing the, the, the action, you're not going to get hurt because you're clear, you're focused, you're aware, yeah. right? So you need that mental side. Emotional side. Again, I'll just go to, let's go to a junior high school athlete this time. Going through the first time she's going through her her period. Going through the first time he's getting an erection and, right? He's focused on that. He's emotional. His hormones are raging. Her hormones are raging. You don't have somebody who knows how to calm and meditate right? Your system, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you're not going to ever be the best you could be at that. Yeah. So these are, these are all ways physically, right? I always tell my, uh, both my athletes and people I'm, you know, who are recovering from serious injuries, right? The slower you go, the faster you'll get there. Mm. Uh, A big thing, yeah. Saying, expand expand on that a little bit. Lower you go, the faster you'll get there. And what I mean by that is most people willy nilly, they're training. They train in the sport that they're playing. They don't train their body to get ready for the sport that they're playing. Mm-hmm. They don't, they get out on a, on a court. They don't stretch because you know, like I'll give you an example. I was, I was coaching an adult wood bat baseball league. We had, <laughs> Jose Canseco was in the league that <laughs> he was old at the time, but he was in that league. Yeah, I'm coaching awesome. this league. And every single time we go out, I see people warming up their arm. I see people throwing. I see people, nobody's stretching. Nobody is prepared. Nobody's drinking a bottle of water before they go out any mm. at, at all, right? They're not preparing themselves for the physical activity that they're about to undertake if Mm -hmm. you're about to go out into some sun and you're going to exercise your body hard, you better have had at least two, three glasses of water before you even start, Mm -hmm. right? You better have your body relaxed and loose, not tight before you start. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't start slow, you'll injure yourself and you'll never get where you're going. If you go slow, You'll get there faster because you're preparing your body. You're preparing the foundation of your body for the activity that you're about to do. Now, this is the most boring part of training for most people. That's why they never do it. I was going to say, that's why it gets skipped. (laughs) But watch the injuries. Mm -hmm. Just watch the injuries. You want to get injured or don't you? You want to get it. You want to be having fun, but you want to have fun for a long period of time? Or do you want to have fun for a short period of time and then have to scream and cry and whine because you tore something, you ripped something, you got injured, right? If you stick
0: around and listen to enough of our episodes here on the Science of Sports Recovery podcast, you'll notice a common theme of importance of mobility in recovery and injury prevention. That's why I recommend checking out the Ready State's virtual mobility coach to help you improve your mobility, recoverability, and injury prevention. The Ready State is a brainchild of coach and athlete Dr. Kelly Sterrett who you can learn more about on episode 13. His virtual mobility coach program helps athletes understand the importance of recovery, pain relief, and self care. In other words, it helps fix the recovery side of training so you can keep seeing results from your workouts. His program will guide you through the same mobilizations used on athletes in the NFL, NHL, and MLB. Provide custom tools for pain relief, give you customized pre and post exercise mobilizations based on your training and sports schedule and deliver daily mobilizations to keep you on track to achieve your goals you put your heart and soul into your workouts make sure you get the most of them by going to the readystate.com slash jace again that's the readystate.com slash j-a-s-e the link will also be in the show notes now back to the show
1: Yeah. And it's slower you go, the faster uh, you'll get there.
0: Just like cumulative to like in my experience uh, being a college athlete or or was a college athlete, you see it all the time. Freshmen come in and they're like, you know, they can handle anything and they can just start the workouts fresh and and go, you know, and then they get burned out towards the end of the year because they went way too hard in the beginning. But then you see like your fifth year seniors that like, they have a slower warm up. They, it takes them a little bit to get going. They're all like crusty and not uh, flexible because they've gone through this, you know, pretty intense program for the last four years without, you know, stretching before or after and, and like you said, starting slow before uh, the workout. So I like that. And then, uh, so we got the mental, emotional, physical, and you talked about spiritual too, can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so the spiritual side is where your purpose comes from, of why you're doing what you're doing. And so if you're an athlete and you have no why other than I enjoy it, Mm -hmm. you're probably not going to get as far as you could get, right? If you had a why, a reason to get up, right, you're going to do everything in your power to be the best you could be. So that spiritual side is your why. It's your purpose. It's what is the thing that's driving you forward to do this thing that you're attempting to do, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be the best in the world. Why? What about it? And so when you can analyze the why, your spirit goes, oh, I'm alive for that. That's what I'm alive for. That's what I'm wanting to do. That's what my body is aching for. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do everything in my power to own that position of I am an athlete and I am going to work like an athlete would work. Right. So it's a job. Treat it like a job. It's not a hobby to be a professional athlete. Even to be an amateur athlete, Olympic, Paralympic, whatever it is, those guys and girls are freaking professional athletes. They may not get paid, but they are professional and they are amazing, but they need that entourage. You know, I I'll give you a couple examples. Like people used to tell them, well, why don't you just go be part of a team or why don't you just, right? Why don't you just go be a part of a team? And so I had so many clients that would come to me because the team wasn't taking care of them. Mm the way they needed to be taken care of. And so they had to seek out others, Mm -hmm. right? And so that happened with the Braves, that happened with, (laughs) uh, you know, a lot of athletes would, would go and find outside trainers, outside therapists, because if they're elite, they know what they need. And if they're not getting what they need, they seek it out,
0: Yeah,
1: right? So that's the other part of it is, if you're not getting what you need, if you're not getting the results that you want, there's a question to be asked and a solution to be found. And that's it. You have, you ask a question, you get a solution. You ask a question that but you got to ask questions that drive solution answers, right? So it's not like, why me? Why did this right? yeah, yeah. happen to me? It's, hmm, what was I doing that caused this? Yeah, What did I not do before? that I, that could have helped me prevent it.
0: Yeah. It's the the curiosity questions rather than the like hopeless questions. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So out of, out of those four in the entourage, you know, what do you see is missing the most usually for those that don't make it to professional level or at least very, very high level?
1: Most athletes kind of have the physical side. I mean, the mental side is, is where a lot of injuries come from Mm -hmm. the spiritual side and the emotional side are the areas where the drive, where the focus, where the, um, the willingness to go above and beyond comes from. And so you could be a natural physical specimen,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? And never make a gold medal, right? But you might have never been a physical specimen, but you knew what you wanted. You knew how to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And you knew how to solve those. And you acted on the solutions when they came. And then you assess and reassess, right? Mm-hmm. So You act, you make a plan, you have a goal, you make a plan, you act on it, you assess, you reassess. yeah again so that's the difference i think that that most make and most need is that they need that spiritual and emotional side to Mm -hmm. come along with the mental and physical yeah it makes a lot of sense it almost boils down to
0: uh you know that that deeper calling to when it's raining out and you don't want to go run and you go run anyways because you know it's the long term goal that is driving you not the the short time uh stuff and i'm i'm curious to know like you've worked with a lot of elite athletes and you've gotten to know them and their why and what drives them so you know, what are some of the, the ones that stick out to you as maybe the most impactful to athletes? Like what whys are more powerful than otherwise, if you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, you know, there is no specific why that mm-hmm. is more or less powerful. Everybody's why has to be self-driven. Sure. So I'll give you an example that one of my athletes that did, I did a podcast with. So. Dominic Arnold. He was a 110 meter hurdler, uh, fastest man in the world at one point in that uh, he broke the world record about eh, that far behind the guy who owned it. He was also the oldest, uh, oldest athlete to break. I think it was, uh, he did a 12 seven something, uh, you know, 110 meter hurdle. Wow. About 12 seven. And uh, he, I asked him on my podcast what his why was, so the audience could hear it. Yeah. and you know he grew up in Long Beach, not a very safe or uh, or lovely kind of place to grow up, and uh, unless you're right on the beach, but even so, it's it's a dangerous place. Long Beach people didn't know that. They think Long Beach, you know, there's an aquarium there. <laughs> but <laughs> so he used to say, I ran over fences through people's backyards right to get where we needed to get cuz every time that we needed to go anywhere we had to we had to walk or run we didn't have cars our parents you know we didn't yeah. want to get on a bus we had to we had to walk or run somewhere so he was always running somewhere and taking shortcuts jumping over fences jumping yeah. over things played football for a while right so he had like the athlete in him was a must for survival Mm -hmm. and for just the fact that long beach, I think had 20 plus athletes that have come out in different sports. I mean, they are one of the top schools and areas for athletic endeavors. And so, you know, he was in that mode. Uh, my buddy Kadivas, he now is a coach at Ohio state. Um, for track and field it was an 800 meter. He didn't grow up in a good area. He now does coaching and motivational speaking internationally. He has a child, uh, athlete organization that gives all over the world yeah. to help kids, uh, do get, get through life through sports, but his life was dangerous in, in Texas, right? He, he grew up in a place that also other side of the the street. So His was, I got to do this so I don't live that life. Mm. I'm watching all my friends die. and I'm watching all my people, right? Mm. That was him. Now, some people, it's just like, I played because I loved it. And then I found I was really good at it. And I like to do it. So I like to do things I'm good at, right? Kind of the achievement mindset. Exactly. So motivation can really be from anywhere. And it's really self-driven what it is that's going to motivate you. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by fame. Some people are motivated by just the sheer will that it takes to do the accomplishment that they're doing, right? And so I find that on the top levels, they, at some level, were running away from something towards something else, Hmm. right? There's always some little piece of, Torture and trauma and thing that is driving the extent of what they do. Yeah. You know, like you could have an issue and you just go running every day and you never become an elite athlete, right? Yeah. When your why is big enough, when your motivation and your physicality is big enough, mm-hmm. right? And you, have the drive to go for, I want to be the best at this. That's a very different person. Yeah. That's somebody who believes in minutiae, who believes in like, I can move my fingers right like that. Or I could go like that. Yeah. And I can stop anywhere in between. Right. Yeah, and that's yeah. minutia. And I'll tell you, I worked on somebody's feet once for 10 minutes. We took, he was four tenths of a second off his time in under 10 minutes. Wow. Working on the minutiae in his feet. Crazy what, you know, what yeah. possible. So a lot of people start out with that, that
0: motivation and, and stuff, but then easily get either complacent or comfortable at a certain level. Like, what is it that those people were actually running from something that kind of help them? Or is it something that they do to remind themselves of, you know, that emotional tie to
1: their goals? Yeah, so motivation doesn't mean anything, nothing. Yeah, ever. Action means a lot. So here's the difference. I'm Mm -hmm. motivated to do this doesn't mean I'm going to Mm -hmm. just motivated, because I heard somebody speak and that motivated me. Yeah, Yeah, right. It's not that is not action, so motivation doesn't mean much of anything. What means something is commitment, And when you have a commitment to something, you embody all the things that it takes to fulfill that commitment. So I'll give you an example. I like examples, right? Yeah, yeah. So trash can. I My job in the house is to take the trash out, right? So I could take the trash. Throw it in the street, it's out. Is that owning the job? No. Okay. So I could throw it out, put it into the trash bin, mm-hmm. and I could leave it on the side of my house forever in the trash bin and then let it overfold, right? That, is that owning the commitment of your job, of the thing that you said you wanted to do? No. I could put the bag, another bag, back into the trash can that I just took out, and I could leave it in the middle of the room, right? I could, I mean, I could go on. I could not clean the trash can before I put in the bag. I could just leave it all fly ridden. What, when you own what your commitment is, Mm -hmm. you have to become all the things necessary in order to fulfill that commitment. If you want to be the CEO of a company, you have to learn to lead, you have to learn to be organized, you have to right these are yeah. all things that you're committed to doing and then you create that action plan so it's not motivation it's commitment action plan assess reassess do mm-hmm. more action. right yeah yeah same thing in sports same thing in life same thing everywhere motivation means hardly a thing commitment means everything because once you you could commit to a habit or you could commit to an addiction right yeah the way you're committed yeah which one do you totally. want
0: to- i totally agree with you i i i think motivation is fleeting um and it's not a good indicator because there's some days that you're highly motivated some days that like you're it's motivated as a rock you know um but it brings up a point where commitment like you can only make so many commitments because commitments take time and i you see this commitments yeah and i see this a lot especially in college athletes that they make a lot of commitments. Um, sometimes without realizing you know they're making commitments but sometimes just because they want to fit in but uh, i find the more commitments you make the less successful those commitments are in maybe not in total if you'd add them all up as a lump sum but like each individually you're not going to get as far Uh, you know, for example, you could go to, uh, you know, I I went to college, and I I ran a a 419 mile in high school, Uh, I went to college, like that was my focus, that was my commitment is for to running. Um, I didn't really get involved in anything else in college besides running. And, you know, I ran a 410 mile, and then I had some issues um, that caused me not to get any faster. But there was athletes that come in Faster than me, or at least as fast as me, uh, and would never get back down to a four nineteen mile. And think about like, well, why? Well, they're in choir, they're in drama, they're in you know school council, or or they're going out with their friends because they're committed to this friend group or whatever. Um, you know, so I think there's there's something there too to limit commitment,
1: right? Well, that and with stuff like that in college, I find that it's a lot of ignorance. You know, both in the coaching staff, even at D1 schools, like I had a client who was a pitcher, had a 94 mile an hour fastball. He was recruited in, uh, in junior. No, he was recruited his, his freshman year of high school um, to a D1 school, went to the D1 school. I had been treating him for a few years, goes to the D1 school and immediately gets a Tommy John. Injury. So, right. He lost his career. Not only did he lose his career from that, but he went to Eastern Florida State, which local community college, and played there for a little bit until COVID happened and he couldn't play his senior year. So, he lost an entire lifetime because he had been training since he was five years old, right, to be a professional baseball player. And going back to our early conversations about injury, right? Mm -hmm. His coach didn't know how to train him. And he did not know how as a high school or a college athlete to say no to his coach, to say no to the trainer who's telling him to do things that he shouldn't be doing. Totally. Right. So that's the other side of it is the entourage the selected entourage, not the one that comes with, you know, the team, so to yeah. speak. The selected entourage has to has to be willing to be wrong, willing to say, oh, what, what is that that you're telling me? Okay. Okay, I got it. Your arm is hurting. I probably shouldn't be telling you to lift 500 pounds with it. Yeah. <laughs> like you know there there's there's certain parts of common sense that get lost in translation because mm-hmm. coaches teachers people not athletes themselves or they just simply are are using old school methods that have been outdated for a while totally. and they're not up to date that yeah. goes for anybody in medicine
0: exactly i mean
1: what you just said there kind of
0: embodies like why I do this podcast, because, uh, you know, we explore topics in on like icing and um, stretching and uh, tart cherry juice and you know, the mental side of stuff like what what is actually working? What does the science say to sign to recovery? Because it's not always what your trainers are telling you. It's not like, because like we said in the beginning, that Medicine is a practice; it's not necessarily always a fact. Uh, and some of the things that you know you're diagnosed with aren't facts; they're just guesses. And some of the you know treatment options that they're giving you, they're guesses. And seeing what works and what doesn't. So, like that's why we're here is to keep athletes in the game and in in sport um, long term and stuff. So I. I I'm loving our conversation. I wish it could go on and on forever. However, uh we don't want to have, you know, like a four hour episode for our uh, audience here. So uh we're we're gonna I wrap up time. <laughs> my, my longest is two and a half hours. <laughs> gotcha. Uh yeah, I think the the listeners here are, are used to that uh fifty to sixty minute kind of range here. So uh, I, I want to just wrap up with a couple of things. One, we'll we'll get to where people can you know find out more about you if they want to work with you, uh, those kinds of things. And then um, just like on, on your closing thoughts, when it comes to recovery, like it, the mindset around recovery, how should people think of that when coming from an amateur level to professional level?
1: Yeah, so whether it's whether it's amateur to professional or just professional who's lost it, right? Doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah. Um, here, here's the problem, and here's the solution. The problem is that your coaches, your players, you know, everybody's going to tell you that you'll never be as good as you were, and that's fucked up bullshit. To be really honest, mm-hmm. okay? I'll give you an example: Mitch Kupchak, Gary V, right? Over there at the Lakers, yeah, Kobe gets injured, injures his knee. I I look in the newspaper and it says from Gary Vee. He says we'll never be as good as he was, about seventy percent of where he was in the in the past. But we're used to that; it's normal. This is the fucking head trainer for the Lakers for twenty something years, mm-hmm. right? Pissed me off if you couldn't tell, right? Because he could have been 150% of what he was before he retired and died, right? Yeah. And so I lived like 10 minutes from their training facility. Yeah. So I went down there and I talked to Mitch Kupchak and I said, this is, this is, this is horrible. (laughs) Like, like you're telling a, a professional athlete whose livelihood is is like required <laughs> to be on that court? Yeah, that he'll never be as good as he was. How many other people have you done that, to? right? Mm-hmm. And so you extrapolate that out to amateur athletes. So I worked the Paralympics in Greece. Mm-hmm. I love the Paralympics because people come in and they'll take off a leg or take off a limb. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, it's just cool. And You watch all of them in one place, and it's just cool, but. You know, these guys are, are damaged goods. They've been told their entire life that they'll never be able to do anything. And in some of the countries that they're from, they literally are ostracized out of the community. They're not allowed to be in the public eye because of it's not Special Olympics. It's just Paralympics. I mean, these guys yeah. are blind, you know, paralyzed. So I was working on this power lifter yeah. from Iraq. And he had completely paralyzed from his legs, you know, his waist down, only upper body strength. And he had a bullet hole that was shot through his spine during the war. He says to me, he says, American citizen, good citizen. Iraqi citizen, good citizen. Bush, Bush serial killer. (laughs) Right? This is their first Gulf War, but... (laughs) Point being that, uh, or the, the, you know, after 9-11, but point being that he was injured. He never got told that he was only going to be a piece of himself. Mm-hmm. He fought to be the best he could be with what he had. And I don't think most people push themselves because you cannot push yourself as far as you're capable of going.
0: Yeah, 100%. You
1: have to have somebody else pushing you. We are not an island. There's always room to push further. And so that's where the entourage comes in. That's where the injury rehabilitation comes in. That's where the mindset comes in. And that's where you get taught and told that you could always be better than you once were. And you can always heal from an injury and you can always get better. I mean, I've seen 50, 60, 70-year-olds with ungodly bodies doing ungodly things that most 20-year-olds wish they dreamed of doing. Yeah, And they had been injured, but they got to that place as an adult, as a wise adult, usually, Mm -hmm. where they stopped the emotional tie to the pain, the mental tie to the I can't. And they said... How do I want the rest of my life to be the next 40 years, the next 30 years, the next Mm -hmm. 20 years? Do I want to do this or, you know, like hobble or do I want to play tennis and move and right? It's all that motivation is what takes you from the injury, not the motivation, sorry. The mentality, Mm -hmm. the mindset takes you from that injury to I can do freaking anything. And this injury is only great, not bad, because it's teaching me that. And now I could take this injury and turn it into my biggest strength. And that's where I think the context of your show should go, is is the context is, I'm injured. Awesome. Got that over with. Yeah. Now I could get stronger and stop that stuff from happening again by training properly, by thinking in a, in a way that's positive, and by doing things that increase performance and optimization. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with the questions we ask. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ari, for being on
0: the show and, and sharing your wisdom. If somebody is listening and they're like, I need more Ari in my life, uh, where can they connect with you and find you?
1: Yeah, so you can listen to Create a New Tomorrow, the podcast. Uh, you could go to AchieveHealthUSA.com as well. That's my you know corporate wellness and, and training company. I also have, um, I don't have the website up for this, but Performance Therapy Academy, it's a certification course that I wrote that literally teaches trainers and therapists to deal with athletes without getting them injured. And it translates over to any kind of patient. But it, I go through literally every process there is, including teaching some of my tips, tricks, and, and, um, my proprietary training technique that I developed called, um, multi-directional resistance stretching. So
0: awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ari, for being a part of the science of sports recovery. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it greatly. All right, episode's over. If you found value in this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already yet subscribed, do so now so you don't miss any important topics in the coming week. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, please send them my way. I am most responsive on Instagram. That's at J cheese J-A-E, cheese, like the food, or email me directly at Jace J-A-S-E, at scienceofsportsrecovery.com. Talk soon.